Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week in my Tuesday episode of Fascism in Fiction, a mini-series that delves into the depictions of fascism in popular media. I'm going to be talking about Schindler's List. Schindler's List is a 1993 movie directed by Steven Spielberg. It's based on a novel called Schindler's Ark. It is a dramatization of real events that took place in Nazi Germany near the end of World War II. Specifically, it is about the lives of three men, two of whom were real and one of whom is a sort of historical composite character. One of the characters is Oskar Schindler, played by Liam Neeson. Oskar Schindler is a real person who was a Nazi party member, an industrialist, and eventually an anti-Holocaust activist and an active protector of Jewish people. His foil in the movie is a character named Amon Goth, who is a real person, played by Ralph Fiennes, a Nazi true believer counterpart of Schindler, a member of the SS, and the runner of a local concentration camp in Poland. The movie is primarily set in Krakow. The third character is Isaac Stern, played by Bing Kingsley. Stern is a composite character who is representative of the Jewish people who worked for Schindler. The character Stern is at first reluctant and then an enthusiastic partner of Schindler. He's a Jewish man conscripted into helping Schindler run a factory who eventually then realizes that he can use this factory in order to save the lives of Jewish people. Now, you've probably heard of Schindler's List. It is one of the most acclaimed movies of the last century, critically acclaimed, a massive financial success, and a huge Oscar darling. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Score, and a couple other awards, too. Liam Neeson and Ralph Fiennes were both nominated for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, respectively. The plot concerns the life of Oscar Schindler as he moves from being a sort of like ambitious, up-and-coming young industrialist, intending to exploit Jewish labor to make a profit, to eventually financially ruining himself in the interest of saving as many Jewish people from the Holocaust as he possibly can. Meanwhile, his foil in Amongoth becomes more and more depraved and mad with power and lust, eventually destroying himself and everybody around him. The movie opens very interestingly. It opens with a desperate and sort of close to bankruptcy, Oscar Schindler, using the last of his money to bribe his way into a club in order to schmooze his way up the Nazi party ladder. It shows him as a wheeler and a dealer, you know, essentially as a con artist who is trying to become a wealthy businessman by being a war profiteer. This is something that he says about himself directly. He is interested in the war because it is a way to get himself money. So he bribes and schmoozes his way into getting a factory and bribes and schmoozes his way into getting contracts with the Wehrmacht, that is the German military, and the SS to make pots, pans, and other objects for them. He then recruits Isaac Stern, to run this business. Stern at this point is a Jewish person who has been relegated to the city of Krakow, to the ghetto there. Ghetto originally being a term that referred to the part of a city that Jewish people were allowed to live in. And in the process of the Holocaust conducted by Nazi Germany, the ghettoization of certain parts of cities, especially in Poland and in other places, in Eastern Europe was a central part of the road towards the extermination part of the Holocaust. In fact, one of the subplots of the movie follows a specific Jewish family 
a very wealthy family in Krakow as they are ousted from their home, which Oskar Schindler takes over in Krakow, as they are moved into the ghetto, as they are moved further and further down into the concentration camp system, until ultimately the woman in this family is uh, almost sent to Birkenau, Auschwitz, as part of the extermination part of the Holocaust. So that's Oskar Schindler's plot. That's one of the subplots in the film. The Amon Goth plot is the counterpart to Schindler's plot. He is shown as the leader of a new concentration camp that is being run by the SS in Krakow or in the Krakow area. And he is the leader. He's in charge of the anti-Semitic activities in Krakow. So he and Schindler are presented as two prongs of the Nazi state, right? There is the sort of civilian prong of the Nazi state. Oskar Schindler is not in the military, but he is a member of the Nazi party, whereas Amongoth is a member of the SS. So Schindler is at, initially, he is very willing to participate in the exploitation of Jewish people. He steals their money, he takes their stuff, he takes their home, he drinks their wine, he is totally fine with this. However, the movie presents a, a turn as he sees people being taken away to camps where he knows that they are being killed. Narratively, the film tells us this, that he realizes this, as it shows one girl, a young girl's coat in red. The entire rest of the film, or the vast, vast, vast majority of the remainder of the film, is in black and white. So as Schindler sees what is happening, he decides that he needs to use his resources to protect people. This is in contrast to his previous behavior, as he notices that Isaac Stern is using his position, that is, Stern is using his position to protect Jewish people. However, as Oskar Schindler's perspective on the Holocaust changes, he becomes a willing participant in this protection of Jewish people. So initially, he is upset that Stern is protecting a one-armed man uh, by claiming that he is a master craftsman you know, protecting this one-armed man from being sent to extermination camps, which, you know, people with physical disabilities or with mental conditions, those were some of the first people that the Nazis singled out in order to kill. So Schindler is initially upset with this, but, you know, he gradually transitions to thinking that his job, the whole reason that he can have this factory, the, whole, like the actual reason that he has it, in, is in order to protect people. This is especially true as the tide of the war turns. And Schindler realizes that the German state is moving towards a more radical version of anti-Semitic activity, as opposed to the ghettoization and sort of everyday extermination and pogrom system that they had operated with at the beginning of the 1940s, which was monstrous, evil, and much, much, much more extensive than previous pogroms in Eastern European history, but was not like entirely out of scope with them. However, the creation of death camps it represented a new transition in this process. And so Schindler sees this and decides that he needs to use his power in order to protect the Jewish people who are in his employment at this factory from this fate. And so this is where we get the titular list, Schindler's list. This is a list of Jewish people that Schindler and his secretary, Isaac Stern, make, and it is comprised of 1,200 people who are employed at Schindler's factory and also at several other factories in the area. They take this list to Amangoth and also bribe him because it is Amangoth's job to move these Jewish people from Krakow to Auschwitz-Birkenau. As a side note, just uh, as a historical side, Auschwitz is the larger section of the camp. 
as it was the labor side of the camp. Birkenau was smaller, but it was where more people were killed because this is the extermination part of the camp. Now, they successfully bribe Amangoth, and they do get 1,200 Jewish people into Germany, into a town relatively near to Oskar Schindler's hometown, where he sets up a second factory. This new factory makes artillery shells, but Schindler forbids them from making them well. Instead, he tells them to intentionally sabotage the systems. He, he actually sabotages some of the measurements himself and buys other factories' shells on the black market, losing massive amounts of money in the process. He also lets Jewish people observe the Sabbath in his factory. He lets them hold weddings and other Jewish rites. He prevents the guards, the SS guards that are forced to guard places where Jewish people are working. He prevents them from entering the factory grounds. Eventually, by the end of the movie, Schindler has completely failed as a war profiteer because he has spent all of his money bribing guards and bribing the SS and bribing the Wehrmacht in order to protect these Jewish people. By the time the Soviets arrive, he is broke. And he convinces the guards in a, you know, meaningful speech just to leave. He says, like, you don't have to kill these Jewish people, which is the orders that they were under. This was actually what a lot of the German guards were ordered to do, although many of them just turned around and left, you know, disillusioned or, you know, knowing that nobody was going to come after them for not killing these people. So he makes a speech to tell the guards to just leave. And he himself flees to the West. He flees towards the American line because he knows that the Soviets will probably just kill a member of the Nazi party, which again, he is an active member of the Nazi party, right? The workers, the people that he saved with his money and his efforts, send him West with a note from them saying that he is an honorable person and that he saved them and that the Americans should, you know, go easy on him, that they shouldn't prosecute him. The final scene of the movie transitions from the black and white that the movie has been in the whole time to color, and it shows us the present day. It features the actual grave of Oskar Schindler, the real person, on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. This grave refers to him in Hebrew as a, quote, righteous among the nations, which is a government designation by the state of Israel for Gentiles who helped Jewish people escape the Holocaust. This is something that that only certain people were granted based upon their efforts to save Jewish people during World War II. The last scene of the movie then is a group of people, actual people, actual survivors of the Nazi persecution, people who were saved from the Holocaust by Oskar Schindler, accompanied in many cases by the actors who were playing them or playing, you know, characters who were based off of composites of them to this grave. And they lay stones at his grave, which is a sign of respect at a burial site in European Jewish cultures. So that's the movie. At its heart, this is not a movie about fascism. It's a movie about the Holocaust. And now the Holocaust is an extremely important topic, obviously, in the study of fascism, but because it was something that was perpetrated primarily, or at least organized and, you know, idealized by one part of a global fascist movement, it makes it a somewhat complicated subject, right? Lots of times in people's imagination of fascism, the Holocaust looms large and is the only thing that people think about or the only people, thing that people learn about. But as a listener to this podcast will know, fascism is unfortunately an extremely global and varied movement. However, this is, you know, probably the salient feature of Nazi fascism, of German fascism. Schindler's List depicts the Holocaust as a sort of inconceivable pit of despair and violence. 
it runs you through the process of the segregation of Jewish people to their disempowerment to their final extermination. Now, this process and how relatively gradual and sort of piecemeal it was is something that is lost on a lot of people. You know, a lot of people think that Hitler took power in the 1930s and was immediately like planning on exterminating all Jewish people. Now, there is some evidence to suggest that that was on his mind, that that was a possibility. But the fact is that the Nazi state sort of probed around for different things that they were going to do, quote-unquote do, with the Jewish population in Germany and also in the Eastern European countries that they conquered. Uh, it, it, it is not clear exactly what the plan was from the beginning. Narratively, uh, in the movie, Schindler and uh, Emon Goth are really great foils for each other. They sort of show you the breadth of the Nazi movement from an opportunist to a true believer. You know, it shows how many Nazis and Germans were just kind of along for the ride because it was the game that was in town, right? It was the way that you could make money and socially advanced, and that's what Schindler does. I think that this is probably the best movie that Hollywood has ever made about the Holocaust. I, I, I can't really think of any other possible contender. However, that doesn't mean that it is, you know, unworthy of any kind of criticism at all. The movie does relegate Jewish people to a narratively auxiliary role. You know, this is a movie about Oscar Schindler. And so that narratively allows us to sort of like, quote unquote, discover the Holocaust along with him, right? If the movie were, say, following a Jewish person who really saw the writing on the wall, we would, we as historical observers, right, we know what's coming too. Presenting the narrative from the perspective, you know, sort of like experientially from the perspective of somebody who does not know what is coming and is not experiencing this persecution, it allows us to have some distance and, and experience it. But it does mean that structurally, Jewish people have things happen to them in this film. This is not really a movie about active Jewish, you know, rising up against the Holocaust or trying to do as much as they can against it. The only character who is granted this kind of agency is Oscar Schindler's secretary, you know? The other thing that I would say about this movie is that it is very willing to express the violence of the Germans and of the Nazis, primarily via violence against women, or at least disproportionately via violence against women. One of the subplots involves Amon Goth's uh, activity as a rapist and as a sexual assaulter of women who work at his camp. The movie also shows a certain group of women under the employ of Oscar Schindler accidentally being sent to Birkenau to be to being sent to an extermination camp. And so this makes women the only characters that we have been following in this movie who are the imminent who are in sort of like imminent danger of experiencing the gas chamber. Now, this is in fact what happened, although also a group of male workers were sent to a different concentration camp at first as Oscar Schindler was trying to move them from Poland to Germany. But it is in keeping with this sort of like narrative of Jewish passivity in the movie. And that's something that you might want to critique if you were looking at it. However, if you are looking for a movie that depicts, you know, not only the initial banality of the way that German Nazis participated in the Holocaust and then ultimately narratively drags you along with it as we move further and further into depravity and evil, there probably isn't a better mainstream movie about this that you could possibly find. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. That really helps me out. It actually gets people to listen to the podcast. 
Also, definitely tell friends, family, and comrades about the podcast. That's the real way that people listen to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. You can reach me at Gmail at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. Again, that's spelled out in all one word. And I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thanks very much. And I will talk to you on Thursday. Thank <laughs> you.